Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right, uh, Shabbat Shalom. As you know, we're in a continuing series, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the entire uh, book of Daniel. Uh, today, we're in the second half of chapter 9, which is the famous prophecy of the 70 weeks. Uh, this is one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture. It concerns uh, the coming of the Messiah, telling us exactly when he'll come uh, and what he will do uh, and what will happen to him. Uh, it also covers uh, the end time events uh, of the last days as well, at the very end of chapter 9. The setting is that the 70 years of the prophesied captivity of Judah in Babylon is now nearly up. Uh, as revealed in the book of Jeremiah. And so, as we saw last time, uh, in part one of chapter nine, Daniel's praying to the Lord to restore our people to Yerushalayim. And in answer to his prayer, the Lord reveals to Daniel not only the future of Israel's return to the land, but the entire future of Jewish history, including the coming of the Mashiach. Now note that the seven years of exile would do, would do because of Israel not observing the Shemitah, uh, the sabbatical year, where the land was to lay fallow and rest once every seven years. Israel had not obeyed this law for 490 years. So they owed the land 70 years of rest, uh, hence the 70 years of exile. Uh, now on the overhead. Uh, now, note that the, this 490 years, and put the first overhead up, please. This 490 years equals 50 jubilees. The year, uh, year, uh, year of jubilee was every 50 years, but the, but the way the cycle worked was that uh, year 50 of a jubilee cycle was also year one uh, of the next cycle. Uh, they overlapped. Uh, so 10 jubilees equals not 500 years, but exactly 490 years. Uh, and as we'll see in, in the prophecy of uh, uh, the angel Gabriel is going to give Daniel, uh, there's this, in a, in a beautiful poetic symmetry, Gabriel in essence says, and put this on the next overhead, Gabriel in essence says, just as there were 490 years, or 10 jubilees, where you were disobedient, and God, yet God is now restoring you to the land, I'm now going to reveal to you another 490 year, 10 Jubilee cycle, there will usher in a far greater restoration, the coming of the Messiah. It'll be the Jubilee of Jubilees. The year of Jubilee was always seen as a picture of the Messianic age, uh, as perfect Shabbat Sabbath rest. And in Yeshua's first public sermon he, he ever preached was from Isaiah 61. Uh, this is an explicit Jubilee text. About the, about the year of release and the setting of the captives free. Debts being forgiven, returning to, to your inheritance in the land. Uh, indeed, most early Jewish commentators recognized the clear Sabbath year and Jubilee symbolism in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, biblical commentator John Bergsma writes this, and by the way, I'm indebted to Travis Snow for pointing this out in his recent book, The 70-Week Jubilee. Uh, and Bergsma writes this, and it's on the, put it on the overhead. Uh, Daniel 9 is where the angel Gabriel, or Gabriel specifies a period of 490 years until the eschaton, the, the end times, uh, arrives. Later literature understood these 490 years as a period of 10 jubilees. 
Now, this is important because it shows us that Daniel 9 is ultimately eschatological. It deals with the end times. So if we interpret Daniel 9, as many commentators sadly do, as only having to do with the first century and not also having to do with the end times as well, we're missing the grand sweep and scope of this prophecy. It covers both the coming and the return of the Messiah. Now, with this important background, let's turn to our text. Uh, Daniel 9, uh, verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness at the time of the evening offering. Now, note the time of his prayer, the time of the evening offering, which is around 3 p.m. This was, when the, this was when the smoke would rise from the altar in, in, in the court of the temple uh, as the lamb was slain. This was also when the Pesach lamb was exactly exact the same, same time was slain. A Beit HaRavim uh, between the evenings, 3 p.m. This was also the exact time, 3 p.m., that Yeshua, the Lamb of God, was slain for us. And even though he's, he's in exile... Daniel remembers that at the, at, the, at the temple, a lamb was slain for sin and offered up for the Lord. Sins were confessed. The one who brought the lamb would lay his hands on it, uh, signifying identification, and confess his sins, and the lamb would be offered in his place as an atoning sacrifice. And Daniel would remember all this from his childhood in Jerusalem. And almost 70 years later, after a whole lifetime of exile, Daniel is still faithful to face Jerusalem and pray at the time of the evening sacrifice, even though there's, there's no temple standing. The temple has been destroyed, uh, and no sacrifice is being made. But Daniel doesn't forget. In verse 21, the angel Gabriel appears. Gabriel is often connected to messages about the Messiah. Uh, in Luke 1, he appears to Zechariah to announce the birth of Yochanan Hamathiel, John the Baptist, John the Immerser, the forerunner to the Messiah. And later on in Luke chapter 1, he appears to Miriam to announce the conception of Yeshua. And then next verse, Daniel 9, 22. And he, Gabriel, gave me instruction and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and get understanding of the vision. In essence, Gabriel is saying, don't miss this. Uh, pay attention, Daniel. Verse 24. Seventy weeks have been determined for your people and your holy city to do what? Six things. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, make atonement for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. The Hebrew word used here for the word determine or decree is nachatach. It's from the root chatach. It means to cut or divide. Uh, literally, 70 weeks have been cut out or separated for your people, uh, Daniel, and for your city. Uh, the, the, the idea here is that in all of human history, God has cut out a segment of time and pulled it out for his own purposes, for his own people. He's taken a period of 77s, 70 weeks, and cut it out from the rest of history for the, for the deliverance of Israel. Note this prophecy concerns your people 
and your city, Daniel's people, Daniel, the Jews, uh, Daniel's city, Yerushalayim. In verse 24, the angel Gabriel gives six purposes of the prophecy, which were put on the overhead. Uh, six goals to be accomplished. Number one, to finish transgression. Literally, to close up, to shut up, to restrain uh, sin and transgression. Now, today, sin has free reign to express itself. But there's coming a day when this will not be the case. There's coming a day when transgression will be crushed with a rod of iron. Rebellion will be finished. Number two, to make an end of sin. Literally, to seal or to shut up or to complete sins. Number three, to atone for iniquity. The Hebrew here is the famous word, l'chaper. Same root we get for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Kippur. Uh, atonement. The purpose of the 70 weeks and purpose of the coming of the Messiah includes atonement for sins. So to sum up the first three of these six purposes of the coming of the Messiah, the first three of, of which uh, are, are negative, uh, there's coming a time when God is going to deal with transgressions in general and sins in specific, uh, in particular. And he's going to deal with it, how? By bringing about atonement for our iniquities. This will be accomplished Daniel is going to go on to tell us, by the person and the work of the Messiah is our suffering servant, taking on himself our sin, bearing our guilt and our judgment on the tree. Now, the full application and the total removal of sins from the earth uh, and, man's heart, and, and, and removal of sin from man's heart will await uh, the second coming, uh, the return of Messiah, uh, and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. Uh, but his first coming accomplished the removal of the penalty for our sins. Divine judgment by Yeshua taking our sins upon himself and in exchange giving us his life, eternal life. This life for life exchange. If we would just repent and put our trust in him and submit to him and live for him. He is the perfect picture of what all the animal sacrifices were pointing to. A life for life exchange. Substitutionary atonement. Messiah dying for us and taking on our sins so that we may have his righteousness. So we, do, we, need, to, we need to examine uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in this context uh, of its stated purpose to bring atonement for sins and see if anyone else other than Yeshua qualifies for its fulfillment of this prophecy. Now it's important to know these six purposes also have a, a, a double or dual level of fulfillment. Uh, our sins were dealt with uh, by, by Yeshua, by Messiah on the tree, uh, through his death and his resurrection. But the final fulfillment of removal of all sin will not be accomplished until his return, at the end of the 70th week. Now, in addition to these three negative purposes of the 70 weeks, on the overhead, we're going to see uh, verse 24 also lists uh, three positive purposes. And I'm sorry, go back to the prior slide. That was my mistake. The, the six purposes. So go, if you can go back again. Yeah, backwards. There you go. My mistake. Uh, so, the, list, uh, the three negative purposes are listed first. Three positive purposes are listed second. So, the, the, uh, the second half, is to, one, number one, number four, is to bring in everlasting righteousness, which won't happen until Messiah returns and, and establishes his kingdom. Daniel 9 links these two events together. Why? Because the prophets typically see events at a distance, like someone seeing two mountain ranges from afar, and they don't necessarily see the valley uh, in between. Uh, from their vantage point. And because Daniel's writing to his fellow Jews about God's special dealings with them, the time in between, the time of the Gentiles, these last 2,000 years, is a mystery. Indeed, Romans 11.25, Paul expressly says this is a mystery 
this partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. But in Romans 11, Paul also reminds us the Lord has nonetheless preserved a remnant of his people, the Messianic Jewish believers. Even as he, even as he preserved 7,000 in Elijah's day who did not bow the knee to Baal. And Paul says, one day all Israel will be saved. We'll return to the Messiah. It'll be like life from the dead. So the Lord reveals to Daniel, this will usher in eternal righteousness. That's the fourth of these six purposes uh, and coincides with, with the return of Messiah. Number five, the fifth purpose is to seal up vision and prophecy. Revelation will come to an end because Messiah will be dwelling with us in our midst. So we won't need vision and prophecies because we'll know directly from the Lord. And the sixth and final prophecy is to anoint the most holy place. Literally, Kadosh Kadoshim, uh, the holy of holies. When Yeshua returns at the end of the 70th week, it will establish the millennial temple and anoint the holy of holies. So this verse 24 lists three positive and three negative purposes for Daniel's people, Israel, and Daniel's city, Jerusalem, to occur by the end of the 70 weeks. The first three primarily relate to the first coming of Messiah. And the second three relate primarily to his second coming. God has cut this period out and has set it apart for Israel. This all revolves around this period called the 70 weeks in Hebrew, uh, Shavaim, Shav, uh, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, Yashaim, Shavim. My tongue is tied here. <laughs> Literally, it's, it's, uh, 70 sevens, 70 septets, 70 periods of seven. Now, significantly, nearly all Jewish and Christian scholars agree that this, in the context here, this phrase refers to weeks of years, uh, periods or blocks of seven years, 70 of them for a total of 490 years. As we discussed earlier, this makes perfect sense when seen in the Jubilee context of 50 years with 10 Jubilees equaling 490 years. Uh, again, because year 50 of, of one Jubilee is also year one of the next cycle. Moreover, Daniel was already thinking throughout chapter 9 about sevens of, seven, of years. He's contemplating the 70-year prophecy of Israel's exile. Daniel says, Lord, Jeremiah told us 70 years uh, for the kingdom to be restored. And in the classic Hebraic wordplay, the Lord says, no, 70 times 7, until all is fulfilled. And we see this concept of weeks of years uh, throughout the Tanakh. Leviticus 25, the Lord commanded the Sabbath rest of the land, the Shemitah, every seven years. After seven uh, weeks of seven years, after 49 years, we have the Yovel, uh, the Jubilee. So multitudes of weeks of years was very familiar to our Jewish people. And all the Jewish sages agree that Daniel is referring to 70 weeks of years here. So on the overhead, for example, Rashi, uh, the most, probably the most famous of all Jewish uh, commentators, medieval commentators, says 70 weeks refers to 70 times 7 years, or 490 years. The Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin 5.1, references the same meaning. Seder Olam and Ibn Ezra interpret this to mean 70 weeks of years, or 490 years. Now, what is the length of those years? Some scholars, many scholars, say it simply means the normal year of 365 days. But the Hebrew calendar did not contain 365 days in a year. They used a 360-day year, uh, 12 30-day months, and they added in uh, leap months, uh, second Adar, uh, every few years in order to catch up on the calendar. 
So some scholars say we should use a biblical 360-day year uh, to measure the prophecy. So, for example, uh, Genesis 7.24 says that we're told the flood lasted five months or 150 days. So a 12, 30-month cycle would be 360 days uh, in a year. Revelation 13.5 says the Great Tribulation will last for 42 months. Revelation 12.6 says this equals 1,260 days. Daniel 7.25 says it will last for time, times, and half a time, or, or three and a half years. So the Bible gives us three different ways to describe the length of the tribulation. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. They all say the same thing in different ways. If we assume that 12 months equals of 30 days or a 360-day year. So some scholars claim that the Bible seems to count prophetic time on a 360-day year. And by the way, many other scholars disagree. And so we're going to look at it both ways and see what happens with both theories. Uh, and getting the timing right is important. Uh, because verse 25 tells us that if we properly add up and calculate the time, it'll tell, this will tell us when Messiah the Prince will come. The Hebrew here is Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the Prince, or, or King Messiah. The Hebrew word uh, Nagid is often used to describe a ruler, a king, a sovereign, a ruler, a leader. Uh, in First and in Second Samuel, this word is used to describe both King Saul and King David. So this is no mere prince. This is a ruler. This is the king. Now, some critics try to downplay the clear messianic significance of this phrase and try to translate Mashiach Nagid as simply an anointed prince, since there's no definite article in the Hebrew. Uh, but a proper name or title, such as the Messiah, typically does not have a definite article in Hebrew. So, uh, uh, and co contrary to other critics, the word Mashiach is not translated as an adjective, as, as merely being anoint, meaning anointed, modifying the word nagid, you know, anointed prince. No, because the adjective in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, comes after the noun, not before the noun. So here it is a title. It means Messiah. Okay? The Mashiach nagid here means Messiah the king, Messiah the ruler, literally Messiah the prince. And the classic Jewish sages agree. Rashi says this is a prophecy about the coming of King Messiah. And the overhead, uh, the Ramban, who's on the overhead, next slide, uh, who is Nachmanides, says this, the Holy of Holies in Daniel 9.24 is none other than the Messiah. The Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin 97a, says 70 weeks culminates in the coming of the Messiah. Uh, on the next slide, uh, the Midrash Bereshit Rabbah asks this, what is the eternal righteousness of Daniel 9.24? It is King Messiah. Ibn Ezra states this is a clear account given of the Messiah in the prophecy of Daniel. And the Talmud and Tractate Megillah says the days of Messiah are foretold in the book of Daniel. So on the overhead. Uh, and the greatest of all the Jewish commentators, Maimonides, the Rambam, he writes this. Very interesting. In his famous book called The Guide to the Perplexed. He said, listen carefully. Daniel elucidated to us the profundities of the knowledge of the end times. However... Since they are secret, our sages have borrowed the calculation of the days of, of Messiah's coming. Why? So that the untutored populace won't be led astray when they see that the end times has already come, but there's no sign of Messiah. Wow. So the Jewish sages, they agree that the, that the timeline in Daniel for the coming of Messiah, but the time Maimonides is writing this, it's already long past. 
But since they rejected Yeshua, uh, they bar anyone else from trying to calculate this date. Very interesting. So Daniel's prophecy of the, of the 70 weeks, the 490 years, it's so important because it tells us when Messiah will come. So the first question is, when did these 70 weeks begin? Because if we can find out when they begin, then we can calculate when it ends. The next verse, Daniel 9.25. So you're to know and understand that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It'll be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So the counting begins with a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Sounds simple, right? Well, here's the problem and the overhead. There, are, there were four such decrees, four such commands given. <laughs> one, the first one by Cyrus in 550, uh, 537, recorded in Ezra 1, uh, 1 verses 2 to 4. The second one by Darius in 519 BC, uh, recorded in Ezra 6. A third by uh, Artaxerxes, these are all Persian rulers, in 457 BC, in, recorded in Ezra 7. And the last one, another second one, but also by Artaxerxes, in 445 BC, recorded in Nehemiah 2. So four different uh, decrees. Which is the right one for the starting point? Many scholars say it's number three, that it's the first, it's Artaxerxes' first decree of 457 BC. Verse 25 says it'll be seven weeks plus 62 weeks, or a total of 69 weeks, uh, until the coming of the Messiah. So let's go to the, the next overhead, and we'll try to add this up. Uh, 69 weeks until the coming of the Messiah. 69 weeks of years, so 69 times 7 equals 483 years. That's number 2 uh, on the overhead. So if we add 483 years to their starting point, 457 B.C., we come to the year 26 A.D. or 26 C.E., actually 27. Why? Because there's no year zero. So we come to the year 27 of, of the Common Era. If Yeshua was born, as many scholars say, around the year 4 B.C., that he'd be around at the age 30 in 27 A.D. And at age 30 was when he, he was immersed in the Jordan River, the, anointed by the Spirit to begin his public ministry. Again, remember, there's no year zero. So if he was born in the year 4 B.C., he'd be, the, he'd be 30 years old in the year 27 A.D. when he began his public ministry, uh, when Messiah the Prince would come, which is exactly 69 weeks, 483 years from the issuing of the decree. Pretty neat. It fits extremely well. He would have then been crucified three years later at, uh, at age 33 in the year 30 uh, CE. Now, other scholars say that the main decree to, to actually rebuild and restore Jerusalem, uh, restore the temple and the city, uh, was the decree, by, the first decree uh, by Cyrus. That was the big one in 537 BC. This was the famous decree. It was the only one actually issued in Daniel's lifetime. But they also acknowledge that this restoring and rebuilding lasted many, many years through many, many reigns of different kings and was not completed and fully enacted until Artaxerxes' first decree in 457 B.C. So they basically end up in the same place. Whether you say it was Darius or the first Artaxerxes, they end up in the same place because that's how long it actually took to, to complete. Now, some rabbinic sources don't like this implication uh, of the 70 weeks adding up to the exact time of, of Yeshua. And so they try to push the starting point back to the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. But Daniel does not, clearly does not say that. He says the countdown begins with the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, not the decree to destroy it. 
And these same rabbinic sources then try to say the second temple only lasted for 420 years, when it actually stood for a much longer period of time, all the way up to 70 AD. So this leads to them calculating the end of the 69 weeks uh, hundreds of years earlier, and then to speculate who could this prophesied Messiah be then. They say maybe it was Cyrus, maybe it was Joshua the high priest, maybe it was Zerubbabel the governor, but none of these make any sense, and the timing is way off. Now, other commentators see a problem with using these first three decrees, uh, the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and the first decree of Artaxerxes. They claim that these decrees, all found in the book of Ezra, really don't deal with the command or the authorization to build the city itself. But instead, these first three decrees focus on rebuilding the temple. Note the emphasis in Daniel 9.25 is, is on rebuilding the city of Jerusalem itself. Gabriel tells Daniel in Daniel 9.25 that Jerusalem will be built again with plaza and moat or fortifications, even in times of distress. This is exactly what we read about, not in the book of Ezra, but where the first three decrees take place, where the focus is on the return from exile, and the rebuilding of the temple and temple services, but rather the rebuilding of the city itself is emphasized in the book of Nehemiah, uh, where the fourth and final decree occurs, which deals extensively with the rebuilding of the wall and the city and the streets and the fortifications. Remember how Nehemiah describes the troubles they had, the constant harassment and opposition from Israel's enemies, how they had to build the, rebuild the wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other to defend themselves. It was rebuilt in troubled times, times of distress, exactly as described in Daniel 9.25. Only this fourth decree of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah 2 emphasizes the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Indeed, in Ezra 4, we read about how the Jews were stopped for a time of rebuilding the temple. Why? Because they were, they were accused of trying to rebuild the city without a permit. So many commentators argue that the Jews did not have a clear, undisputed right to rebuild the city itself until the second decree of Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. So they argue that this final decree best fits Daniel's prophecy. This fourth of the four decrees... Second decree of Artaxerxes was issued in the year 445 BC. And in Persia, you counted the years of a king's reign uh, from the first month of his reign. Artaxerxes began his reign in the month of Nisan, so his reign is counted from Nisan 1. Moreover, Nehemiah 2.1 expressly tells us his decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued in the month of Nisan. Well, Nisan 1, 445 BC, would translate in our calendar to March 14th, 445 B.C. Uh, on our calendar. So, we, so on March 14th, 445, according to this theory, is when you begin the counting of the 69 weeks or the 483 years until the coming of the Messiah. So again, look at Daniel 9.25. Uh, it tells us from the time that the, the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. There will be seven plus 62, 69 weeks or 483 years into the coming of the Messiah. Now, why, people ask, why are these 69 weeks split up into these two groups of seven weeks, or 49 years, and 62 weeks, or 434 years? One theory is that Daniel 9.25 tells us it'll be, in the, on the overhead here, uh, seven weeks, or 49 years, until it's rebuilt with street and trench, uh, but in times of trouble. So according to these commentators, it took 49 years for Nehemiah and the others to complete the rebuilding of the city. They contend the rebuilding lasted 49 years, from 445 to 396 B.C. And interestingly, 
396 BC is the same date when the canon of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew scriptures, was completed. It's as if the Lord established his people in the land, he established their city, he established their temple, and he established his word. And from that point on, until John the Immerser, there was no prophet. If the rebuilding indeed was finished in 396 BC, 49 years after the second decree of Artaxerxes, there should be a further argument in favor of this fourth decree being the right starting point. Now it's disputed exactly how long it took to uh, rebuild the city and, whether, and, and when exactly it was completed. So other commentators say this first reference to seven, year, seven weeks or 49 years has nothing to do with the rebuilding of the city. Uh, in fact, the verse does not tie the rebuilding to the first seven weeks. It actually doesn't if you look at the verse carefully. Rather, they contend, and again here I'm indebted to Travis Snow in his book, The 70-Week Jubilee. Many commentators argue that the, the separation of the weeks into 7 plus 62 is connected to the jubilee theme. They contend the reason for the separation is because the first 49 years, seven weeks, represents the first jubilee cycle out of the 10 jubilee cycles listed in, in Daniel 9. This period of seven weeks is set apart as an independent jubilee cycle. Why? Because, because this highlights the jubilee symbolism that's key to the meaning of Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks and its eschatological end times and messianic themes. There's also a Hebrew wordplay going on here between the final jubilee that occurs after, after Shavuim Shavuim, uh, 70 weeks, and the first jubilee cycle that occurs after Shavuim Shavi, uh, Shiva, uh, uh, seven weeks. And so on the overhead, uh, scholar uh, Nelson Water, Walters writes this, by separating out a complete jubilee cycle, the first seven weeks, God left no doubt that the entire prophecy was about jubilee cycles, 10 of them. Now, regardless of the meaning for this breakdown of, of 7 plus 62, what's clear is that there will be a total of 69 weeks or 483 years into the coming of the Messiah. So let's count this down, looking at now from the second theory of how we count. So from 445 BC, we want to go forward 483 years. According to this theory we discussed earlier, many commentators say a biblical year is 360 days. So on the overhead, here we are, it's on the overhead. We want to go forward 483 years times 360 days equals 173,880 days. 173,880. So from the decree of Artaxerxes on Nisan 1 on March 14th, 445 B.C., to the coming of the Messiah, we 173,880 days. Now this phrase, until Prince Messiah, is very interesting. It carries with a kind of an official terminology. Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the ruler. This is an official term. It's, it's a kingly concept, as used, as we said before, of King Saul and King David. So it's not the birth of Messiah in view here, but an official presentation of Yeshua as King Messiah when it says, until the coming of Messiah the ruler. There are only two events in Yeshua's life where he's officially set apart and pronounced as, 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 as king. Uh, his immersion, which the first theory, the first time on is based on, and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But at his immersion, he was not being presented to men, uh, but to God. And there were very few public witnesses even recorded other than, than John the Immerser himself. So this leaves us with the triumphal entry. At the triumphal entry, he was being proclaimed by the people of Israel in Jerusalem as their king. All throughout the Gospels, people attempted to take Yeshua and proclaim him as their king. 
And every occasion, he prevents it, right? Saying, my hour has not yet come. But one day, he allows it. He allows it at his triumphal entry. On Nisan 10, Lamb Selection Day. Remember, Nisan 10 is when all of Israel was commanded to take a lamb into their house, inspect it for four days until Nisan 14, and until Passover, as they prepare for, for Passover. And four days later, on Nisan 14, on Passover, after confirming this lamb has no spot or blemish, uh, they're to kill it and sprinkle its blood on their doorposts of their houses in Egypt to protect them from the angel of death. Nisan 10 later on became known as Palm Sunday, of course, more popularly known. It's when Yeshua, the Lamb of God, enters his city to be inspected by the people. He was without spot or blemish. Even Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Yeshua rides into the city on a donkey, just as Zechariah 9.9 prophesies. I'm going to put it on the overhead, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Yerushalayim. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and endowed with salvation with Yeshua. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the one day Yeshua ever allows the people to proclaim him as king. Indeed, Luke 19, 38. The multitudes, they're shouting out, they're quoting Psalm 119, verse, uh, they're quoting Psalm 118, and they shout out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Yeshua held the people accountable to recognize this day. It was prophesied to them by Daniel. And the very next verse is Luke 19, uh, beginning in verse, verse 41. When Yeshua approaches and he sees the city, uh, he weeps over it. And he cries out, if only you had known in this day, the day of the triumphal entry, if only you had known, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and level you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The time of your visitation was a presentation to them of King Messiah. So a good argument can be made that the coming of Mashiach Nagi, Messiah the Prince, refers to the triumphal entry. So the question becomes this. Did the triumphal entry occur 69 weeks or 483 years or 173,880 days after Xerxes' decree to rebuild Jerusalem beginning on Nisan 1 or March 14th, 445 B.C.? Now, uh, on the overhead, according to some, many scholars, Triumphal entry occurred on Nisan 10, April 6, 32, 32 CE. So we need to determine, are there 173,880 days between these two dates? Of March 14th, 445 BC, and April 6, 32 CE. On the overhead. Now from March 14th, 445 to April 6th, the year 32, using our regular calendar, there are 477 years, which we get by simply adding up 445 plus 32. We subtract one because, because there's no year zero. This gives us 476 years. Then the, from March 14th to April 6th, there's another 24 days. So we're counting March 14th as day one, by the way. Uh, so 476 years ends on April, uh, March 13th. 
that's giving us 24 days until April 6th. So now we have 476 years plus 24 days. Now let's convert this to our calendar to see how it compares to the biblical calendar. 476 years in our calendar times 365 days per year equals, 1, equals 173,740 days. Let me add plus 24 days to get from March 14th to April 6th. Now we're up to 173,764 days. Pretty close. But it's not exactly 173,880 days. Uh, but wait, we forgot about leap years. Every four years, we add one extra day for a leap year, right? In 476 years divided by four, we get 119 extra days. So we add, we add 119 to 173,764. We get 173,883 days. Now we're over by three days. <laughs> but our Julian calendar doesn't quite exactly fit the solar year. According to the Royal Observatory in London, uh, our year is one 128th of a day too long. So if you divide 128 into 476 years, we get three days that we must subtract. We subtract three days from 173,883 we end up with exactly 173,880 days. There are exactly, according to this theory, 173,880 days from an Xerxes decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the triumphal entry of Yeshua into the city, until the coming of Mashiach Nagid, just as Daniel prophesies in Daniel 9.25, right down to the very day. Isaiah 46.10, the Lord is the one who declares the end from the beginning, predicts things which are not yet done. Galatians tells us Yeshua came in the fullness of time. The Lord tell, tells Daniel the very day Yeshua will enter Jerusalem. And what did the crowd say? Hoshiana to the king of David. The title for the Messiah. Now let's look at verse 26, Daniel 9, 26. And after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Other it's hard to translate this Hebrew. Other translations read, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. The Hebrew here for cut off is the word karat, meaning execution, meaning the, the death penalty. Throughout the Tanakh, this word is used for being cut off from one's people, having one's soul cut off, whether spiritually as in God's judgment or physically uh, as in the death penalty. But also, the next verse, verse 27, we'll get to later. Verse 27 speaks of a final 70th week to come in the future. So verse 26 says that sometime after the 69th week, but before the 70th week, Messiah will be killed in an official state execution. Again, Daniel 9.26 on the overhead goes on to say this. Uh, next slide. The, uh, the people of the prince to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. They'll destroy Jerusalem, the city, and the temple, the sanctuary. I mean, or at least one level of, of this fulfillment obviously occurred in the year 70 AD, 70 CE, when the Romans destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. And there'll also be a final fulfillment in the last days when the false Messiah does the same thing as Yeshua himself prophesied in Matthew 24, even quoting the book of Daniel. Now, it does not say, by the way, contrary to many commentators, that this final fulfillment will necessarily involve the Roman Empire. It simply says the false Messiah's followers, whoever 
false messiahs, whoever those followers are at that time in the future, they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. They could very well represent Middle Eastern nations doing this, like in the prophecy of Gog and Magog. Indeed, even if you assume the final destruction will be like the first destruction in the year 70 AD, and that it will involve the Roman, the Romans, uh, Roman Empire in, in some way, most of the Roman soldiers in the battle in 70 AD were from the Middle East. They were not from Rome. So this verse does not give us the nationality of the false messiah. But the point is this. The point is, verse 25 tells us the messiah will come at the end of 69 weeks. And verse 26 tells us he'll be cut off or executed sometime after the 69th week, but before the 70th week, and before the destruction of the temple in the year 70. Daniel makes it clear, whoever this Messiah is, he must come before the destruction of the temple in the year 70. What an incredibly detailed prophecy. What amazing accuracy. So on the overhead here, here we have three key revelations from this passage. Number one, Messiah will die. He, he came to give up his life. He will receive the death penalty and be executed. Number two, in order to be the Messiah, he must be killed before the year 70 AD, before the destruction of the temple. And then most of all, number three, he'll be cut off, but not for himself. He does not die for himself, but for others, to give his life as a ransom for many, to be a substitutionary atonement for our sins. He suffered karat, God's judgment, on our behalf. He died not for himself, but for you. For me, Yeshua fulfilled all these conditions down to the smallest detail. And no one else fits these prophecies or conditions or timelines. And on the overhead, uh, the next slide. No one else came to atone for sins. No one else came around the year 30 AD, presented himself as the Messianic king. No one else was executed in this official execution, died before the destruction of the temple in the year 70, and was cut off from the Father, not for himself, but to atone for the transgressions of others. So if Yeshua is not the Messiah, no one is. Yeshua is indeed Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the King. Sadly, our leaders missed him when he came. Uh, in the overhead, the Rambam, the Maimonides. In his commentary on Daniel, he had missed this. He, missed these. he writes this, The end times have already come, but there's no sign of Messiah. Wow. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he's the compiler of the Mishnah in the overhead. He laments, the times referenced in Daniel's prophecy were over long ago. But according to the angel Gabriel in Daniel 9, once the decree to rebuild Jerusalem went forth, we would know for certain the Messiah will come in 483 years. The Lord told us precisely when Yeshua would present himself as our king. But tragically, our leaders refused to acknowledge him. And the Lord held them accountable. As you saw in Luke 19, Yeshua weeps over the city, predicting its destruction by the Romans, because he says in Luke 19:44, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Our people still look for Messiah to come and to rebuild the temple and establish his reign. But what good will it do if we're still enslaved to our sin? The purpose of the coming of the Messiah, Daniel tells us, is to atone for sin. Before the kingdom of God can come to this earth, there must first be a solution to the great human dilemma of sin. This is what Yeshua accomplished in his death and resurrection. Now, there's been a long gap in time before the final 70th week of Daniel is fulfilled and the end times comes. 
And during this time, these last 2,000 years, the Lord's been bringing the good news of salvation to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the Goyim. But the times of the Gentiles is coming to an end. Messiah is turning again to his Jewish people and revealing himself to them. He will return to Israel to reward those who are his, to judge those who reject him. Are you ready for the return of the king? Will you stand in the day of judgment? Let's prepare our hearts. Let's seek his face. For he is coming soon to usher in the year of Jubilee. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. The music team, come on up. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you for this amazing prophecy in Daniel 9 about the timing of, of when the Messiah would come after 69 weeks of this 70-week prophecy. Thank you for this amazingly accurate and precise way you fulfilled this. Indeed, you, Lord, you tell the end from the beginning. You speak of things which will come about before they've even happened. Whether we calculate this timeline, the issue is baptism in the beginning of his public ministry, or we calculate it to, to the triumphal entry, your word is faithful and true.